Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're in our sermon series, Grace and Truth, Faith, Gender, and Sexuality. And it just kind of gets harder from this point forward, if that's possible. Um, the first week, Adam talked about where do you get your, your moral, like your, your compass? Who has authority in your life to tell you what is right and what is wrong? And where does that come from? Does it come from the government? Does it come from social media or your friends? Or if you claim to be a Christian, it actually comes from this thing called the Bible. And it also actually comes from this thing called the Holy Spirit, which indwells in your heart when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Uh, God says, I will come and give you a wise counselor. And he's in your heart. And so you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. You have multiple copies and multiple versions of God's word about how we are to live our life. And it speaks to to almost everything. And so remember this sermon series is directed at people who call themselves followers of Jesus. The sermon series is for that purpose. So if you're new here and you're just checking us out and you're not a believer yet, you're going to be like, well, that's not what the government says. I know. Uh, You're going to be like, well, that's not what the media says. I know. We're trying to go off of what we understand God's word asks us to do. And it's not always easy. So we talked about what the foundation is. We also talked about sexual brokenness last week. And uh, God's heart to heal sexual brokenness in all of us. And that everybody probably has sexual brokenness in their life. Whether it was something you actually did or something you were affected by your parents or grandparents or somewhere else along the line, we talked about that and that you should submit that to God and we should flee from sexual immorality. And then this week, we're going to talk about two topics, singleness and marriage. So first, it needs to be said that marriage, as well as singleness, are gifts to God, from God. And neither is better than the other. Being married or being single, neither is better than the other. It is okay to be single in here. You can embrace that. And we're going to talk more about that today. Marriage is not the ultimate goal of the Christian life, and neither is singleness. You have not arrived when you uh, became married. And if you chose to, to stay, stay single, that doesn't mean that you're above somebody that's married, that you could, you could withhold all these things, and you're more holy than they are. You are not more or less of a follower of Jesus because you're married or because you're single. Now, the church has not done well with singleness for a while. If you've been in a church and you've been single uh, for a lot of your life, you might not feel that you're as accepted as others in the church who got married. And I think this misunderstanding about singleness has caused people a lot of harm. And there's some pretty cool nuggets we're going to see in the text today about, you know who is single? Is it interesting you know who's single? Jesus. Like, I want to be just like Jesus. Well, not totally like Jesus. I mean, I'm not single. And so singleness needs to be embraced. The church has pushed people into marriage when they weren't ready. Marriage is not the gatekeeper of love. Maybe you've heard these phrases if you're single before, and it came from a well-meaning Christian, but you, know, you couldn't possibly understand what love is until dot, 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 dot. 
you've had a baby, until you got married, until you had a grandchild, until all of these things, you couldn't understand it. And that comes as a very well-intentioned thought about people wanting you to experience love maybe the way that they did, but that doesn't mean that you don't understand love if you're single and you're not married and you never had a child and you never had a grandchild. How real life uh, loves and embraces those who are called to be single tells the world a lot about who our God is. Singleness is making a comeback, though, in and outside of the church, and not for the right reasons sometimes. Uh, here's a Pew Research study. It says uh, marriage has been getting less common for a while. Pub, uh, Pew Research report published in 2021 found that uh, the share of Americans adult 25 to 54 who are, who are married fell by almost 15% between 1990 and 2019. So in 20 years, 15% more people chose to not be married. And some of that's because maybe they lived together and just didn't get the, get the uh, recorded government certificate or any of those things. But a lot of those folks uh, just chose to not, to, to not engage in that. In the 1990s, adults were more than twice as likely to be married than on their own. But by 2019, that gap between the two groups has closed considerably. Now, the world's reasons for being single are not the same reasons we're going to find in the text. The world's reasons for singleness has a lot about me and myself and what I can do and how I'm not tied down and I'm this and I'm all of these things that I'm free to do and that freedom is not found in what they're going to do for Christ, but freedom is found in what they can do for themselves. And that's not a glorified picture of what it looks like to be a single person that's a kingdom builder. Paul has a lot to say about uh, singleness in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, 25 through 40 promoting singleness about uh, ministry and things that you can do. And here's a little nugget that I found, and I never saw this till I was going through one of our research pieces. I never found this in this passage because I always got lost in the aspect that it was all about divorce. And it's pretty interesting. So let's go to the text, if you would, with me in Matthew 19, uh, 3 through 12. And so here's what's happening in this. The Pharisees, again, are coming to try and uh, trap Jesus. A lot of times when you say the Pharisees came to test and the Pharisees came like they're coming to get him. And multiple, multiple uh, pieces of text. But the Pharisees came to test him and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You've heard that at weddings before. Why then, they asked, did Moses, well, obviously, let me bring the Moses card out, because that's who we're down with. Uh, Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But I tell you, it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman has committed adultery. The disciples said to him, (laughs) hey, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, maybe it's better not to marry. Because this looks pretty hard. And Jesus replied, and here's the nugget that I thought was really cool. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word but only to those whom 
it has been given. And he goes on to talk quickly about eunuchs. So in that, that culture, a eunuch is someone who uh, either voluntarily or was born a certain way where they were, were considered single. So when you see the word like eunuch, he's talking about folks that were single, that were guarding uh, palace, different palace pieces of it, but they were single. So when you think about eunuchs, he's like, that's singleness. It has less to do with the stuff that happened and more to do with singleness, in my opinion. He said, for there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. So again, singleness. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. To the one who can accept this, or accept this, they should accept it. So a couple pieces on singleness. Not everyone can, will choose to be single but only to those whom it has been given. So I wonder, for the people that are in this room that are single, have they thought about that aspect of like, am I given to be single? Is this what God wants for my life? Am I one of those people who should remain single? Not because there's anything wrong with me, not because I don't like men or I don't like women or, or those things, but has God called me to live a life of singleness? Or marry, maybe something happened in your life and you were married and you're divorced and you're like, okay, well, I, gotta, like, I, have, like, I need another companion and those things. And maybe God is calling you to function as an amazing single in his kingdom. Now, singleness does not mean aloneness. Because you're single, it doesn't mean you're alone. Yet this church, we value community. We value community if you're married. We value community if you're single. And so remember this, that singleness does not mean that you're alone. It just may be a gift that God has called you specifically uh, to execute for his purposes in the kingdom. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. It's, it's like singleness is a gift. Now, if you're single now, no matter how you got there, whether it's divorce or other broken relationships, or maybe you just never dated, I want you to consider asking, God, is this what you'd have for me? Is this a way that I'm going to be used to glorify you and your purposes and your plans? And the church should accept that and honor that. The church should be so excited for folks that are choosing to remain single and love the Lord and lead well in this church, and they will be elevated as well. And edified. So there's nothing wrong with you if you're single. There's not a problem with you. You're not, and if you're married, it's not like you're just so weak that you couldn't be that. Maybe that was God's plan for you, is for you to be married. But singleness should be embraced and accepted. And Jesus drops the mic in Matthew uh, chapter 9. He drops the mic and he's like, those who can accept it should accept it. So I want this church to love our singles really well. And not try and set them up all the time. I'm guilty of one of those setups in the church, and I think I did a good job. But, to be fair, he and I were talking about it, so, you know, I didn't totally, I didn't totally drag him into it. Now, let's talk uh, a little bit more about the married aspect of life as well. You know, like the idea of marriage, and for most of human here, history, the marriage is not about romance and love. 
When we think about marriage and romance and love and all these movies and love stories and every song that we hear, it's like, oh, it's just about like love. It was like about survival. It was about like not murdering another country because you had people that were connected and you didn't want to murder your own family. There was, most marriages were arranged all the way up until like the 1800s. They were arranged. You didn't get to pick who you fell in love with. It actually probably worked out really well for a lot of those things because the families would look at that person and they'd be like, you know what? I think Dennis would be great for her. Let's, let's, let's make this decision together. The big, here's what I say, and I, sometimes I got a chance to share with, at a high school with kids, and they're like, hey, what's the, some of the biggest advice you can give us about life in general? And it's like, well, my career and my pathway and my degree and my, how much money I'm going to make and my 401k and all those things. Outside of your choosing your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are called to be married and you're going to be married, you know what the most important decision you can make? is marrying well. You should get the most advice, the most counsel, the most, the most everything that you could possibly get about that decision because I've seen people who have great degrees, who have this career that you and I would kill for, money's not their problem, they got money all over the place, all those things, and choosing to not get advice and counsel on marriage has really wrecked their life. So this idea about marriage being this romance piece of it, that's not how it has always been from the beginning. And really, it's interesting when we're looking at a piece of text today, it's not about the marriage of the eros love, this infatuation love. It's a different kind of love that's way harder than the, I think she looks pretty good, I think he looks pretty good. You know, we probably would work well together and it's all this infatuation and notebook movie and all of these really cool things. That's pretty cool that God provides that for us, but that's, how many people are married and it's just like all about just like Eros love, this like erotic, like it's just amazing all the time. That's all it is. Come on, go ahead. Raise your hands. That's all it is. Nobody here is just has their foundation of love about just their bedroom life. That's just it. That's not like where you spend 168 hours of your week. Oh, big laughs. It's interesting. This is what our culture thinks about marriage. Marriage is a formal union. It's a social and legal contract between two individuals that legally, economically, and emotionally unites their lives. Sounds very lawyery. See, biblical marriage is more about covenant than contract. Contracts are made to be Broken? What? I don't want to fight in the UFC anymore. I'm out of here. What about your contract? Do what you like with it. I'm not fighting in the UFC, by the way, but, you know. So contracts are kind of like this, yeah, a little loose agreement. A covenant is different. And the way that we would understand in the text about marriage is that it comes in the form of a covenant. And covenants were something you couldn't uh, separate. It's when the, the two became one flesh. It's almost like, remember that old thing where you're like, we're going to be blood brothers. I probably don't remember this, but this happened a long time ago. Like, we're going to be blood, blood brothers. You cut here, I cut here, we shake hands, we mix our blood together. You're like, gross. But like, how can we unmix that blood? Now, we're together forever. A piece of me is a part of you, and, 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 a, and a part of you is a part of me. And that's the way that God sees, like, the marriage covenant. Sadly, today, I mean, marriages are barely promises. 
How many people have been in a major city and like half the billboards are, you know, injured in an accident? You know, call, call, blah, blah, blah. You know, divorce? Like half the billboards are divorce or injured in an accident. Quick divorce. Get your divorce done in short time. See, the biblical vision of, about covenant and marriage is whole life union. It's two flesh that become one. It's not about personal fulfillment. It's about fulfilling the other. It's not about consumption of what you consume of the other person. It's about commitment. It's not about your rights. It's about responsibility. It's not about happiness. It's about holiness. I'm like, well, maybe singleness sounds pretty awesome right now. See, God designed marriage for humanity. As first described in Genesis and later affirmed by Jesus, marriage is a God-ordained idea. The covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Now, in my opinion, the government can define it however they want to define it. But that doesn't change what I observe God's word saying about marriage and who it is and who it's for. The lifelong sexually exclusive relationship brings children in the world to help us sustain and steward what God has given us. And there's lots of text about marriage. If you go through your Bible and you start looking about marriage and text, you'll see this husband and wife, 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 husband and wife. Yeah, Josh, but the Supreme Court said, I know. I don't know that they're all devoted followers of Jesus, but God's word says this, husband, wife, husband, wife, husband, wife, husband, wife. Deuteronomy 24, 5, Proverbs 18, 22, 1 Peter 3, 7, Isaiah 62, 5, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5, all of this stuff. Now, I want you to know this, that marriage is not the ultimate goal of human life. You've not arrived because you're married or because you're single. The ultimate goal here on the earth is a relationship, but it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You guys read the text in, in, uh, in Luke or in Matthew where it talks about that you're not going to be married in heaven? Like, what? And many people are like, hallelujah. So Luke 20, it says this. It says, uh, Luke 20, 34, Jesus, they're trying to trap him again and they're asking all these questions about, you know, are you going to be married to, if you've had three spouses, who you're going to be married to in heaven, how's this going to work? And Jesus says this. The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can uh, no longer die for they are like angels. So marriage isn't the ultimate goal of your life here on earth. The relationship and your walk with Jesus Christ and how that flows out of your life, whether it's glorified in marriage or glorified in singleness, that's the goal. I want to read a marriage passage here for you guys. And this is in the context of, uh, in the book of Ephesians. And so this is in Ephesus. So here's what's happening in Ephesus. A lot of times when I read this passage, like the ladies in here are going to be like, because it has that nasty word in there called submission. But I got some good news for you guys as we read this text. But so here's what's happening on, here's what's happening in Ephesus, um, which I got the privilege to be there, which is really cool. Uh, it's a big port city. It's uh, like, it's like the number three city for the Rome, Romans at the time. It's a big deal for them. Um, Romans are about, they were, had female goddess, but they're about power. 
And they're about military might and power. And like women in Roman's time, Roman times were, were good for making more mighty warriors so we could dominate the rest of the world. And as a female, if you were not producing offspring, uh, you could be viewed as less than. And so this culture in Ephesus was different, and Rome was uh, having some challenges with this culture in Ephesus because it was heavily dominated by the goddess Artemis or Diana. And if you would go there today, you could see different, different things about Artemis, and, 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 and really their place is kind of torn down, but it was this giant, like, seventh wonder of the world thing. And you'd worship, and it was about, like, competition. We're just as strong as they are. We will go hunting with no shirt on with our spears and we'll drag meat home just like the men can. We can do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like this uh, competition and like men are almost like not needed. Let's get rid of them, right? Let's get rid of part of this thing. And so this culture that was going on in Ephesus had been going on for a while. And it was really messed up and it was a, a bad competition about men and women. And so that's kind of, if you put yourself in Paul's shoes, he's trying to build a church in Ephesus, and this is the culture that they're around. And so he's trying to correct some things, but how he corrects it is beautiful, and I really understand it. So we're going to jump into Ephesus 5, 21 through 33. And it starts out and says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, uh, so it's asking both male and men and women to submit to each other. And the reason why you would submit to each other is because you're pointing to Jesus. That that's the important thing. That's the first thing that he says. And we're like, all right, cool. I like this. And then it goes on and says, wives, submit to yourselves or submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. This verse has been used inappropriately for a long time by men and by sometimes by churches to like, boom, like, see, the Bible says, that you are like, wait till we get going some more of this. You're going to find out, men, uh, what a kick in the teeth, your lower teeth, that this can be as you understand what it looks like for us to submit to Christ as he loved the church. And so it would probably be pretty easy to submit yourself to a man if you're a married woman, if that person was pursuing Christ like, like amazingly. Like, that would be really awesome. And you're like, all right, cool. Like, yep, I'm with you. We're going together. Let's go. And this person is submitting greatly. And as we continue on, you'll find out that that's the purpose of this. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Yeah. Especially when a husband's like this. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, cool. What do you think the word for love here is? Husbands, eros your wives. Just be like erotic and like super like sexual with your wives. Is that the word you think he used here? Oh, agape. Different kind of love. Right? So let's talk about this agape love. So he says, uh, husbands agape. And it's one of several Greek words for love. But when the word agape is used in the Bible, it refers to a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. Guys, serve your wives immaculately. How easy is it to respect a husband who's constantly wanting to serve and love you 
and care for you and make sure you have your needs met and put your needs in front of theirs because that's the way most American males are. Or like some of us are laughing, some of us are not laughing. (laughs) Serve your wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, uh, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. And it's not like that the wife is dirty or all those, any of those things like, nope, just how Christ presents you and I to the father as holy and blameless as a servant, as a sacrificial servant for the king. In the same way, husbands ought to agape their wives as their own bodies. Sacrifice yourself. He who loves his wife loves himself after all agape. After all, no one ever hated their own bodies, but they free, uh, feed and care for their bodies just as Christ does the, uh, the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also agape his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Marriage is about sacrifice and service to each other because sacrifice and service to each other can point to how we would sacrifice and serve our Father in heaven. It's a piece of the picture. Just as singleness can be about sacrifice and service to our Father in heaven. So when you think about marriage and you think about singleness, they are both ways to glorify and honor God. Some things I want you to take away from today that, number one, singleness is a gift from God. It's an honorable way to love and serve the Lord. You are not less than if you are single. And in this church, we're going to honor and edify the singles in our church. Marriage is also a gift from God. It's specifically designed for a man and a woman. And it often includes raising godly children. Both singleness and marriage the ultimate purpose and goal is to glorify and honor God. Now I'm going to implore you guys to continue to, to dive into the research, resources that we have. One of the funniest things I heard in one of our sermons that I was listening to on this, uh, they were talking about the Ephesians 5 passage, and the guys were like, wives, submit! And the ladies were like, die, man! You, you should submit. Yeah, you should die, like it says. Let's go ahead. Let's keep reading the text. But understood in its right context, Jesus drops the mic on singleness and says that if you are called to singleness, you should accept it. And in marriage, over and over throughout the text, he talks about man and woman, man and woman. And it's more than just something we can just, ah, you know what? It's not working out. No, we save our sexuality for our marriage. And we put that together to glorify and honor God. And it's not the biggest part of our life. We are to agape one another because that is how Christ loves us. Completely and totally sacrificial love. And we should model that out. 
And he modeled it out through the aspect of communion for all of us. So let's take this time and come to the table of communion as we think about the marriage with the King of Kings and what it looks like for us to be married to God's purpose, his plan. Whether you're married in here or whether you're single in here, this is the relationship that you're pursuing. And for us to pursue it well in every avenue of our life that we're called to, to glorify and honor God, to point to him. I want to take this time just to, for us to pray and reflect. Let's do this. Father God, we just come to you as we prepare to uh, receive this bread and this juice, Father. We come to you as married folks, as single folks, as people that are dating. And we just ask for your purpose, your plan, and your will in our life to be revealed to us. You truly know and show us what love is. There is no greater love than somebody who would lay down their life for another. And you did that for us. And you ask us, Lord, to do that for each other. You ask us to change the definition of of the world's definition of love and what love means and what romance means. And you ask us to love with an agape love, a pure love that seeks the best intentions of others just like you did for us. Lord, let this church and let the people in this church model what it looks like to love you well in our singleness and that we would embrace that for those of that, of, that you have called, whether it's for a season, whether it's for a lifetime, Lord, that we would embrace it. And for those of you, Lord, that you've called to be married in your purpose and your plan in your church, help us to figure out how to glorify you in that process. Things that would point to you to what you would have, to what it looks like to be the bride of Christ, to what it looks like to have us submit our purpose, our plans, our will to you, just as you submitted your life to us. So, Father, I just ask that you would just open the doors for us in a better understanding of what it looks like to have a biblical marriage, of what it looks like to walk well as singles, and that all of these parts of the body are needed to point to you, Lord. Help us in that, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to come to the table for the ultimate of agape love that any of us will ever receive is right here and right now. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember how I loved you. Let's remember that. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in it in remembrance of me. Let's remember the kind of love that Jesus poured out for all of us, his agape love. Again, Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for your text and the words in your text and how you have opened it up to all of us, Lord. It's there if we want to read it. It's there if we want to dive in and see that. I ask that you would just help this church walk well and how we carry this out of this room. We're not a condemning or criticizing church, Lord. The Holy Spirit convicts and moves uh, the will of man. And we just ask that we would hear the Holy Spirit well in this church. That as we try and live out your ways, your plans, your method, we do it with grace 
and we do it with truth, and we do it with absolute love in our eyes. When we're looking at people who think differently than us, who disagree, we love them. We hear them, we care for them, we pray for them, and we are moved by your spirit and your compassion for all of God's people. You said you wish that none would be lost. Help us to do this well, Lord, to walk this road well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.